Hello, podcaster. It's Charlie here with another episode of The Business of Podcasting, the podcast that helps you have more success with your podcast. And in this episode, I'm talking with Daryl Urbanski of The Best Business Podcast. And there's a really interesting story in the episode with how he came up with that name for his show. Now, Daryl is an absolute champion and shared so many valuable things when it comes to how to really leverage a podcast. And there was three things that really stood out to me in this interview, which I think will offer enormous value to anyone who listens. So one is how to create more opportunities with your podcast. Daryl spends some time talking about how he created his show really as a networking opportunity in the beginning because he had so many people he wanted to keep in contact with and wanted to find a way to make sure that he could utilize these relationships and eventually turn them into something else. The next part is Daryl explains there's only three ways to really acquire more traffic for your podcast. And I'd never really thought about it like this, but I really like his mindset here. You know, you can either buy, build or borrow traffic. So you could buy it through things like paid ads or Facebook ads. You can build it through your own followings and lists such as social media or your own email list, or you can borrow it. And by borrow it, he means you might leverage a guest you have on your podcast and utilize their audience to come onto your show, or perhaps some existing relationships you already have that have people that you would love to be listening to your podcast. So three really insightful things there. And then the last one, I've only done two, so I've got to throw in one more here, is he talks about some things he's doing before he actually records an episode with a guest. So it was interesting. So for myself, I had never thought about doing it like this either, but Daryl holds a lot of pre-interviews before he will have someone come on and record a podcast episode with him. And why he does that is so he can ensure the quality of that person and what they're going to talk about is going to be exactly what he wants for his show, but it also gives him a chance to kind of explore extra opportunities, which is why we've labeled this episode all about creating more opportunities from your podcast. Now, if you do like the show, please make sure to let other people know about it. This is a new show that we're excited to get out there. Please make sure to subscribe. And if you did want some help with your podcast, please head over to valamedia.com. At the moment, I'm doing some free podcast reviews. So if you do want to submit your show, I'm happy to go through it and we can have a look at how you can make improvements to your own show. Now, let's head over to the episode. That's it from me. Welcome to the show, Daryl Urbanski. How you doing? I'm great. It's a wonderful day. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm thrilled we were able to make this happen. You've been podcasting for quite a while, and I dare say you've got a lot to share on the topic. Now, to start things off, can you please tell the viewership or the listenership, so to speak, a little bit about your show and what you do for business? Sure. So I help businesses and websites get customers and keep them. And my show has a mission to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. So we interview self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts. It's kind of a biographical biographical, uh, interview where we talk about like their journey and the challenges that they face and what they overcome in hopes of, you know, that we can learn from it and avoid those, you know, those, those obstacles ourselves. So um, yeah, I think we launched, I forget the year, but I'm probably around something like four and a half years now uh, doing it somewhere around 400,000 downloads. We publish once a week 
And uh, I mean, it's been great. It's a, it's a fantastic medium. I'm super grateful that I got into it. Um, yeah. And I'm just hopeful, hopeful that people listening to this get to get some value out of this today, that I'm able to point them in the right direction and help them out. Sensational and some impressive numbers there. So, I mean, I would call you one of the early adopters. I mean, four and a half years ago, so many less people were podcasting than they are today. So one of the things I'd love to know is like, what led you to podcasting? Why did you get into it? Mm, so, well, so, all right, I can be verbose. So I'm trying to be succinct here. I got into podcasting because I had just moved to San Diego and I was working with uh, John Asaraf and I, I kind of made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And I moved down to the, the California and we'd done about $3.2, $3.6 million in just under eight months. And uh, because John is already someone of recognition and kind of prestige and, and has a, an amazing network of friends. I was being introduced to a lot of phenomenal people. I always say I was put in some seemingly special communities to some people. Some people might think that some are elite, some are unique in certain ways, but I was getting to rub elbows with a lot of really interesting people. And uh, after I finished with John, I was still in California and I was, again, engaging with all these people. But because John had been singing my praises and because of the track record I'd established, I had such like, I had like a waiting list of clients to work with me. So I wasn't really needing to generate any business. But what I did want to do is I wanted to find a way to build relationships with people and be of value to them. So the podcast originally started as a way for me to have a reason to follow up with some of these people that I met stay in touch and just be of value to them, right? Like a lot of these people, they have followings that are hungry for their content, but if they're so busy, if I could just get them to sit down for an hour and talk to me, let me pick their brain. Actually, part of it was I was talking to my friend and I we just done, so we did like 3.2 million and what part of that 1.6 million was with a marketing campaign that I built evenings and weekends and kind of launched. I remember talking to my buddy and he was like, Daryl, if I knew the people you knew and I could have the conversations with them that you're having, I would be doing million dollar marketing campaigns too. And that kind of sparked the idea of doing that. And so it was just a way to stay in touch and be of value, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, some of the podcast episodes I did, it was more like I just recorded it, edited, polished up and was like, Hey, here, share this with your audience. You know, like I didn't, I just knew I didn't have anything to sell at the time. I was so busy. I didn't, I just knew someday I may want the platform. And I also remember my early days that I'd like beg, borrow, buy, and steal all the content and knowledge I could because I was struggling as a business owner. Like I, there's no real class on how to run a business. You learn how to do accounting. You learn how to do some of the operational stuff, but nobody teaches you marketing and sales, right? They teach you some theory. A lot of times it's from academics that maybe do or don't have real world experience. So I really felt like for me, I had to struggle so hard and I easily spent like $100,000 on programs and coaching and courses. And I mean, I would go through a program and be like, oh, that's the one nugget. You know what I mean? Like, you, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. You sit 12 hours through some kind of course, you're like, I got three nuggets out of that, you know? And so it's like, it was such a big time uh, investment in that. I just really wanted to be able to give value and help other people like me. You know, I, I have a theory that uh, your success is my success because even if I didn't have an ethical bone in my body, even if I was secretly some sort of scoundrel, it is only in my best interest for the longevity of my business to do everything I can to help everyone the most I can. I'll get more repeat sales. I'll get more referrals. Like it just makes sense. And so that's really it. I just wanted to be uh, a beacon of light, really, like, uh, you know, to help make it more accessible, more available to other people. Isn't that interesting? You've got some phenomenal long-term thinking there. I mean, not many people would start a podcast thinking, I might need this platform 
one day. Like this isn't an intentful way. A lot of people start a podcast because they want some sort of result either in their business or for their brand more immediately. But with your access, it became such a useful networking tool and relationship Mm. tool as what you've spoken from there. Does it still prove to be that purpose? Is that the main reason you do your podcast is for relationships and networking or has it transitioned into lead flow or developing things with the listenership? That's a great question. So recently, uh, within the last couple of months, I've pivoted to make the podcast more of a of a focal point in the business itself. Whereas before, it really was just kind of a hobby thing that I was doing. I did a terrible job letting guests know when their interviews went live. Like I probably missed out on missed out on so many joint venture opportunities and so much so many traffic opportunities. Like you said before the call, I've interviewed some phenomenal people with huge audiences, some people that have got like a million plus followers on Instagram, whatever. And we just did a terror because we pre-record and then schedule it. And then I was busy with my other stuff. So we weren't really on top of saying, Hey, it's going live. Do you want to share with your audience? You know? And, um, yeah. So forgive me. I, I, I don't know if that answers your question so well, but now it's really started to focus to be more, like I said, all right, well, if I'm meeting all these people, how do I do more deals with the people that I'm talking to, right? How do I either buy from them or get them to buy from me or find a way for us to, to do something together? It's really, um, it's really kind of been that. It's the whole concept. You don't have to get it right. You just have to get it going, you know? <laughs> you bring up such a good point. This is one of the main reasons I love podcasting. I've been so into it or I'm such an advocate, so to say, and I'm still really bullish on it, is there's so many opportunities that exist within the medium. Like there's so many opportunities. So my, my first show I started going back a couple of years ago, I started it with the intention of being like the marketing engine uh, for the business at the time. And I was like, great, people are going to listen to this and then they're going to uh, either be interested or not interested in how I approach this and then they'll want to work with me or they won't, which is true for a lot of podcasts, except in that podcast, I wasn't very good at marketing it. Missed a ton of opportunities, like you said, with promoting with guests, just, you know, so much learning. And we didn't actually generate a single lead for that business, Mm. Um, which is sad, a little bit sad. Uh, I still regret that. But the funny thing was, what I didn't realize we were doing is just opening the door to relationships and joint ventures. So while we made nothing from an actual ROI from the original podcast, we made a killing on doing joint ventures with the guests. So the whole strategy became who do we want to invite on this podcast that we like and enjoy, we can get to know, and if they're suitable, let's develop some joint venture strategies like how can we work with these guys? And that was the backbone strategy of growing that business and worked very well. Yeah, yeah, that's basically the same thing. Like for me, it was a phenomenal networking tool, a reason to stay in touch with people. Hey, let's get you back on for a follow-up. Uh, here, just hearing about opportunities that they've got going on. That you're like, man, I want to be a part of that. So it was, it was really was that, you know. And then later, to kind of share my journey more, like I launched this Christmas Eve, I think was when I first launched it, and it was really ironic because. I already did a bunch of interviews before I went to launch. I kind of wanted to make, you know, everyone's concerned about the launch and getting the biggest traction in the beginning. But again, are you in this for the 100 meter dash or are you in this for the marathon type thing? So it's important on how you launch it for sure. But um, so we launched Christmas Eve and I sometimes I think I'm too nice or too honest. uh, And maybe that sounds conceited saying it myself, but I I had a work visa in the States. I've been living in San Diego for two years and it expired uh, January 3rd. And I didn't want to do what I thought felt shady, like trying to sneak back in the States a few days before my visa expired. So I let it expire and I booked a flight for January 4th. And then I went to go back to fly to the States 
and I wasn't allowed in. Uh, I feel that I had a visa officer that was really jealous about what money I was making. Um, typically, I just go to the border and show a contract with a client and I get a work visa for the duration of the contract. It was done it twice, were no issues, didn't think this would be any different. Uh, but he took a look and at the time, my fees were $50,000 up front and a percent of, uh, of sales in the business after that. And I had a client that was in real estate. He was a real estate investment guy. And he was, uh, <clears throat> anyways, he, he asked me what I was going to do with the $50,000. And I said, well, I think I want to get into real estate. He's like, well, let me just get you a house worth at least 50000 And we talked about it. It'd be at least worth 50000 And plus, it'd have, uh, you know, it'd be cash flow positive type thing. And so I remember I saw the visa guy and I showed him the contract. And he's like, they're going to buy you a house? And I was like, yeah. He's like, a house? He's like, yeah. He's like, an effing house. And I was like, yeah, yeah, is there an echo here? And then he picks up the phone and I don't know who he calls, but he asks about his overtime hours from like his overtime check from the holidays and the pay raise he asked for. And then he hangs up the phone. He's like, you're not going to the States today. I need you to come back. I need you to do this, this. I need five years financial background for this company that you came from and, and all that sort of stuff. And then um, I just had a lot going on. I, I mean, at the time I had a, a mentor who had a business meetup, a monthly business meetup in person that you know, 40, 50 people would drive up to an hour and a half to be at. He was going to step down and give that to me. I had a buddy that was about to do a launch. And I actually, my daughter's middle name is named after him um, because he was just really like, I wanted to be there to support him in his launch. There's also a model out of LA, like a really famous, very attractive model that for five months, we've been trying to find something in our calendars to make it work. And she invited me to be her guest for a wedding. So I had all these reasons to go back right away. And the client at the time, their office was closed until January I think it was January 10th or 11th. So if I didn't go back in the 4th and I follow what they said, I would have to wait till January 10th for them to open up and then a few days for them to get the paperwork fixed and then snail mail it to me. And what was missing was uh, the checklist of things that this visa guy wanted was they're supposed to have uh, the company's letter uh, logo on the letterhead and that the list of deliverables that had to be separated what I was doing, what the client was doing because it was a management consultant role. So I had to prove that I was consulting. I wasn't taking American jobs. And because I didn't have time, I went back and I edited it because I didn't think I wasn't lying about anything. I took the contract that we had, which was a legal contract between me and the client. It wasn't made for immigration. And I just sorted out the bullet points. And then I added, the only thing I did was I reorganized the bullet points. So it was like Daryl will do, client will do. And then I added the, the client's direct cell phone number to the to where their name was. That way they could call if there's any questions. And I went back with that. And it came out that I put the paperwork together. I also had access to their financials. So I got their financials. Like I could do all of it, right? So I did it all. And I went back two days later and I got the same visa guy. And he saw this and he was like, something smells here. And he didn't like it. So he banned me from entering the United States for 99 years or until I submit all this to the head office and uh, do due diligence and confirm it. And that that process, which I thought would just take a, a week or two, uh, because I, I didn't lie about anything. And I just, you know, like, I, I didn't think, I didn't realize that it was immigration fraud. I was just trying to give him what he wanted. And it, like, that was really it. Uh, so I was like, oh, this will be cleared up in a week. And then, you know, a month goes by, oh, it'll be cleared up, you know, in, in another month. And then another month goes by. And it turned out being three years till I got a response from U.S. immigration. Wow. So, yeah. So that's part of why, you know, that's part of why you and I know each other, you know, my, 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 she's not my wife, she's my girlfriend, but my girlfriend works with you. And uh, it's part of what led me to this part of the world because while I was waiting for a response, I mean, all you can do is email and they're like, yes, we received your paperwork. And when we're done, we'll give you like, that's all you get. You get an email address, you can email and the response. So then the podcast became a critical way for me to stay in touch with this network and, you know, and clients and all that stuff, because now I was very isolated in Canada 
in my hometown, you know, a small town, far from far from being in LA and San Diego, like kind of the center of the universe for internet marketing and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, the podcast became critically important for staying in touch with people. I still can't believe uh, that happened, Daryl. Like you definitely caught someone on their bad day. Like, I don't think this is about you. I think there's something else that's happened in this person's life. It was was totally the concept of, you know, we hate, I'm not in the 1%. I'm far from the 1%. uh, But it was definitely like, there's got to be something wrong with this guy because anybody that makes money is doing something evil. Like it was really that kind of, that's what it felt. It's all my opinion. I'm not trying to slander anybody. Immigration listens to this. It's just how I felt because I was just very, very honest. But anyway, so I was so lucky that I started the podcast. In some ways, it was a career lifesaver. Uh, and especially the fact that I work, you know, online, because if I had had a physical brick and mortar type of thing, it just would have been catastrophic. You know, like if I was doing any sort of brick and mortar business, it just would have been, yeah. So podcast was amazing. And so, like I said, and then it became a way for me to be at conferences when I wasn't there or, you know what I mean? Like to add value to people and to encourage stuff and help promote events that maybe I couldn't go. And so I couldn't be at that conference and I couldn't meet those people in network, but Hey, I could do some interviews with them to help promote the conference before it happens, you know? And, uh, yeah, so it really became a tool. Absolutely. And you just mentioned one of my other favorite strategies, you know, in the example of helping people with events that maybe you couldn't be at, it's amazing when you have distribution via an audience, like how you can really leverage that to be useful to your network in other ways. Maybe it's an event or maybe they've got something new coming out or maybe it's something you just really want to endorse. Like it enables you to be a person of immense value in your network as well. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's been fantastic. And there's been, uh, like, again, sometimes you just go through the motions, and then you wake up, you're like, Oh, I should do this differently, I should do this better. That was really the strategy. And it became kind of a, a, a social proof tool. Like, like you, I wasn't really generating a lot of leads and sales out of it. Um, I did get some clients in that, but <clears throat> I did wasn't selling courses and info products at the time, I, I was doing a lot of service and client work. And so like, again, you know, there's only so many hours in a day, even though I had a team, we really could only handle so many at some point, but it became a fantastic social proof tool, a, a, an excellent learning device for me. I mean, I had one guy, uh, Max Carey, the guy, like, I think Inc. Magazine paid him something like $25,000, $50,000 for his keynote presentation three years in a row. The guy was responsible for over a billion dollars in sales with his clients. You know, he charges something like six or ten thousand dollars an hour for consulting, and I'm like, "Hey, Max, you want to get a call?" I'm like, "Now I have him for an hour, just him and me, and I get to pick his brain and ask all those questions that I, you know, like it was just a great tool for that as well." I remember another guy was wanted to charge eight grand for a course, and um, like eight grand for this coaching program thing, and instead I got him on two. We did two interviews, and I was like, "I got two hours," and I picked his brain. I did one, and I did a follow up four months later, and it was like I got all that valuable info. And I know because I hear from people like it's changing lives as well, right? And the devil's really in the details, and so I think he got a ton of business out of it too. But because sometimes you have experts, they have the concept like I want to keep all the goods for myself, you know? Like I don't, I don't want to tell everyone everything because then what? But when you look at music, a, a band never keeps their best song on the album to be discovered later. They take their best song and that's what they put on the radio and they want everyone to hear it because if you have a hundred thousand people that love your free thing, you're going to get a small group that want more, you know, and that's, that's really it. You always put your best foot forward when you can. And, and somehow miraculously you just have to trust yourself. You just find ways to come up with more new stuff, you know, like just give it all away and they'll come back for more. And somehow if you trust yourself, you'll just be keeping able to deliver. It's just kind of magical that way. 
would be really funny if bands started keeping their best songs just for the album, not not right? performing them. <laughs> yeah, this song's too good. We don't want to put this, give it away for free on the public radio. Let's, let's bury it on track 12, right? But so many experts do that. They don't, I don't want to give it away. If I tell them, why would they hire me? Well, because you prove that you know the the nuts and bolts that you've 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 you know like you've been you've been there you've got tactile like when you talk to the Inuit about snow they have five different names for snow you know because they 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 know it so in depth they know the nuances and that's something where you know you can anyways that's where podcasting is just a really powerful medium for connecting with people and building relationships and and short of being able to like right now like. I have friends, like I have my daughter's 10 months old yeah, as of yesterday, and I have friends that had babies that grew to be three, four years of age, and they never got to see their grandparents in person, but they would video chat or just have calls. And then when they finally did get to see in person, the kids were just excited and wanted to be hugged by grandma and grandpa as opposed to that stranger thing, because there's, you know, you really do get to bond and connect. Communication is so much more than just the words we speak. And so it's an incredibly powerful medium. Like, yeah, it's incredibly, incredibly powerful. So... So coming back to that, when you're working, or I should say, when you're interviewing people like you've referenced here, how do you go about digging for the gold and making sure that someone, let's say, does give away their best tracks or you get to highlight their best info? Do you have a strategy around the questions you ask or the research you do to lean into that? Right. So um, I've, I, very quickly, I learned to not just hop on. I actually stopped hopping on calls with people to do the interviews right away. Because once or twice I do an interview with someone and I'd be like, I just wasted an hour of my life. I'm never going to get that hour back. I'm not releasing this. There's just, it was just, I remember I had one guy and it was like, he just treated it like a sales thing. The whole, like, tell him, tell him the what, but not the how. And I was just getting frustrated with him because I'm like, like, dude, like there's no meat to this call. Like, you're just like, yeah, well you should do this. Okay. Well, how do you do that? Well, you know, and it just, it frustrated me. So I started doing meeting greets with people. And so it'll be a 15 minute meeting greet. And then on that call, we set the actual interview date. And that's the call where I get to sniff you out and I get to ask you questions. And, and really I say like, what's your superpower? Like, what's your superpower? What are you better at than anybody else? And I find out what that is. And okay. And then, so we always talk about their journey. And that's the other part when you say like, how do you get to that? Sometimes people, it, it depends. It's, it can be about approach. You talk to someone about their childhood. Like one of the first things I always ask is like, how did you even get started in business? Like we, you've, you've done this. I go through their bio. You are this great person with these great accomplishments. But before we even get to that, how did you get started? Like as a child, did you have little businesses? Were your parents entrepreneurs? How'd you get into it? And now they're telling me about their childhood and, you know, and they're, and they're growing up and we go through that process and there's a lot of, to be learned through that. Like I love biographies, especially if you find the right people. I think they're very instructive to see how people learned and adapted and how they, how they approach certain situations. And so I think there's just a lot of value in that on its own, right? I get some phenomenal people in my show I have accomplished amazing things and overcome some amazing challenges. And it's like, wow, like, you know, the way, like you said to me, like you've already said about my perspective and some approach, like, oh, that's interesting. I never thought of it that way. So I think there's power in that. And then, you know, you get 10, 20 minutes into a call and they've told you about their childhood. You start asking questions. They're just much more relaxed, right? This isn't a stranger. We already had a meet and greet. Now we've been talking. I've been telling this person about my childhood. Now they're just way more responsive and just calm and, and we don't do them live. So, you know, they, there's no, you know, there's no, nothing threatening. It's almost like in a, in a sales call, like you wouldn't just dive in like, how much money you got? Can you afford this? Like you, you just kind of like you build up to it and you, you know, you go there and you just kind of, you know, get into it. 
I think that's a powerful strategy doing the meet and greet. For, for mm. myself personally, like I'm big on research and I know this isn't everyone's cup of tea, but it's like I really like to investigate people and make sure they've so-called put their best tracks out there already because I think that if people are already putting great content out there, your chances of uh, getting great content or going deeper into great con- content are massively improved. Mm. Um, but the other thing is too, I think something I may not have considered, which I think you've nailed here, is that if you've done a meet and greet, it's not just seeing what the episode's going to be about or your structuring of questions. It's like your icebreaker. It's Mm. setting things up so when you start the podcast that things are way more comfortable. You don't have to spend 20 minutes just, you know, with the guard on, making sure, you know, he's checking you out, you're checking him out. So you can really just remove that from the way. So I think that's a, I'm going to say, a little nugget you've just dropped where someone can really improve the quality of their interviews just by doing that meet and greet and uh, potentially scheduling the actual interview for a later date. Hmm. Yeah. It, it, again, it also helps with things like uh, pacing for talks. So because some different people, it, it, you get it's like a dry run. We we do it just live, so we know that your audio is right. We know your mic works. We know that not to talk over each other. We've got the internet connection stuff. All this stuff's figured out. Okay, cool. And it's also because people can be nervous the first time they do anything. I remember when I had my martial arts school. One of the, the tricks that we learned was like you get people to sign a waiver, but then you flip it over and that's the contract for the membership. So because you handed them a clipboard with a piece of paper and they signed it once and there was no fear and no terror and nothing, it wasn't this new, like, what am I doing? You know, they did it once. Okay, it's fine. You're not, you're not going to pull a fast one on anyone, right? You're not going to like voodoo them into buying from you, but it just makes it more comfortable, you know, and that's a big, big thing. And especially if you talk about relationship building, sometimes for some people, even if you don't see them forever, you know, time is important. So even if we do a meet and greet and then we wait three weeks till we do the actual interview, well, now I've known you, I've known you longer. And there's just a lot into that. And now, like I say, where we've pivoted, we're actually pivoting to make that meet and greet a pivot point. So now we have people with guests, you know, we're kind of opening up because most of my podcast, even now, I would say somewhere around 90%, maybe less, maybe 85% of my interviewees have been people that I have personal relationships with or people that I have personally done business with. And so it's like you and, you know, I don't do a lot of internet research on these people. I just have real world experience with them. And, um, but now we're opening up to more of the public. And so the meet and greet is now becoming a pivot point for business. So for a perfect example, I've got an offer to help with ghostwriting books for podcasters. And uh, so one of the things that I, I did in a meet and greet is I found out one, this guy was a great fit for an interview Two, he needs a book and three, he wants to be a JV partner for books. So in that meet and greet, we set up an interview, an interview for the podcast and we set up a follow-up interview for him and his book and another follow-up interview talk about the JV deal. So we set up three calls on the meet and greet to talk about each one specifically. And that's kind of how things have adjusted. And one of the things I'm actually looking at is even pre-meet and greet is now I'm looking to set up a chat bot to basically be like a survey. And so now the plan is to drive Facebook ads to the chat bot, starting off with, you know, do you do interviews? And then filtering people through if they're a good fit. Okay, let's do a meet and greet for the show. If they're not a fit, maybe we should talk about this. Maybe we should talk about some of the other stuff that we can do together. And that's something new that I'm experimenting with. But that's where now I'm making the, the podcast a more pivotal point where we are going to get we are going to beef up our SEO. And even if the person doesn't have anything that I need to pay them for, or even if they don't have anything that they want to buy or they need to buy for me, well, now we're going to be better at making sure that we do co-promote the show. So that way my own I'm sponsoring my own show with my own products and services 
that was another thing that I learned is, you know, you have to get a ton of traffic to be able to get sponsors that can, I, I mean, John Lee Dumas had the number one business podcast for a long time. I don't know where it is now, but after he interviewed me, I guess we lived, we lived, he lived in La Jolla. I was in Encinitas. So he was really fascinated with my story, he invited me to his apartment for lunch one day. So I went and sat down on lunch with him. I found out that the vast majority of the income that he produces is selling his own product on his own, on his own show. And so that's where, you know, I've never really been interested in sponsorship because I realized looking at his numbers, you got to work so hard to get your numbers so high to make any kind of income showing ads. And the people showing ads are trying to make more money than they're paying you. So just cut out the middleman and have your own stuff on it. So now the podcast, like I said, is now a focal point where the podcast itself promotes my own products and services. So even if I don't you know, have something that can help me grow, even if you're not going to buy from me, we're going to do this podcast together and we're going to co-promote it and at least you're going to push my, you know, you're going to push my reach and I'm going to ask you for referrals for other potential guests. So that's where I've opened up to network with more people, a wider range of people, um, and try to figure out another pre filter step to try to maintain that quality. So a chat bot pre meet and greet, you know, and from that chat bot, maybe some people won't be a fit for the podcast interview, but Hey, let's talk about this first. I don't know if you're ready for the interview yet, but let's talk about this, you know, and let's set a call for that. I love that you're using it as the entry point and then just creating a phenomenal amount of leverage, like potentially turning one pre-check call, so to speak, uh, just a meet and greet into three um, leverage points or potentially revenue points or deal points, however you want to look at them from there. And again, this is where podcasting becomes a superior medium because there's not really many, you can't do that with a blog post. Like That's not going to (laughs) happen. So this is where it becomes uh, interesting from there. But I want to, I want to go back to something you said, because I think um, this is a topic I'm a a really big believer in is that if you're a business owner, you effectively want to become the sponsor of your own show. Like that is Mm. absolutely the the best way to monetize in my opinion. But the other thing you referenced there, and you know, John's had a phenomenally successful podcast, but is just the the CPMs, so to speak, like what you would actually be able to create in advertising revenue is terrible. Actually hmm. terrible. We got the numbers, um, which I'll quickly announce here just for reference. If you have a podcast and you are getting a thousand downloads um, of your podcast, you're likely to receive $20. So $20 US dollars per thousand downloads. Now, you might look at that and say, that sounds terrible um, from, you know, how big your show would have to get to make a living. And that's correct. But I want to flip that. It's also the greatest opportunity in podcasting right now. So if you have a podcast and you want to sponsor other people's podcast to go to your podcast, it's a really interesting opportunity right now because there's so many podcasters looking for advertising. So Daryl, I mean, sounds like a great one for you as well, I think, is finding some similar shows. You might be able to take advantage of that as well. Um, that's a writer downer. I always have a paper and pen handy, and I think that's a great one. So as we test the ads, because we've tested different ads on my show and had a hard time converting listenership to actual web visits, I can convert listenership to social media follows pretty consistently and steadily. And I, hey, why did you send me this friend request? Why are you trying to connect me on LinkedIn? Oh, I listen to your podcast. Well, oh, okay, good. But turning it into web visits has been tougher, and I don't know why that has been. But as we test different ads, once we get things that really start to click then it would just then it's just again it's about scale it's about you know once you once you it's the same thing with paid ads once you've got a, a campaign that's within your kpi that you can live with it's all about scale right if you want to make a hundred thousand dollars you have a campaign we're only netting one dollar profit per sale after everything is said and done taxes all that stuff but you want a hundred thousand dollars just get a hundred thousand sales you know you can fight a whole lot to try to improve your margins but you can also just go get a hundred thousand more so it's a bit of that you know 
it's a bit of a matrix and art. It's not just one thing. It's a, it's a pool of things. And I think it's really, you're like you said, that's a huge opportunity for people. So you got, that's where, again, it comes down to who are you trying to serve? Like, what's the purpose of your show? You know, I've, yeah, you just gotta, it's, it's a weird thing, but it's, it's the concept always begin with the end in mind. And in the beginning, my show was for the guests more than the listeners, more than me. It was for the guests. It was, I had these people that, they just needed help creating content. They, they had stories that maybe they got tired of telling and they just needed to have it recorded and documented. And it was mostly about them. And now it's kind of pivoting to where it's still about them, but it's about them on a deeper level. It's about the guests, but it's not just the elite. You know, it's about people that it's about a wider spectrum of people um, who have value to share, but it's also about finding other ways to help them. Maybe I get on the phone with someone and they're not a fit to be interviewed for my show yet but maybe they could really benefit from something that I offer, right? One of my products or services. So the only other drawback is sometimes you feel like it's a lot of time <clears throat> to invest and that's just true. But I think it comes back to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go on a soapbox a bit here, but I think in some ways our cultures in the, in the Western world or the first world, the developed world, I think we're in real danger. Like I don't want to sound like an alarmist, but the Chinese have a saying that you can't keep wealth past three generations because the first one comes from struggle and earns it. And the second one witnesses their parents struggle and respects it and preserves it. And the third one knows nothing but luxury and squanders it. And right now I think minimum wage in Canada is something like 15 bucks an hour or something. It's just something ridiculous. When I was a kid, it was five bucks an hour. And I think the level of like entitlement in the world is really detrimental. Like I've been living in Southeast Asia and traveling in Southeast Asia for a few years now. And there's just so many people that are so hungry for any opportunity. And it's, you know, it's, it just comes back to <clears throat> a lot of people just want to make money and push buttons and have you know, dollars fly, you know, appear in their bank account. And I've set those campaigns up. Like I've set up automated campaigns where we did an automated webinar and did millions of dollars with that, but there's still customer service. There's still upsells. There's still people that have questions. There's still like, you just can't eliminate that. All a company is, is a group of people serving another group of people. All a company or business is, is a group of people solving the problem of another group of people via a product or service. So if, for some people might think like it's a big time commitment, but that's why, I, you know, it's, it, <clears throat> you got to love your fellow man and woman. You got to love humanity and be interested in other people's stories. And if you're not at that space, then podcasting's not for you. You know, and I think that's kind of what it comes down to. You have to be willing to share time with people and uh, and make the time investment. Absolutely. And I think there's a, a lot of mic drop moments there. If I wasn't on a boom arm, I'd probably like to drop one there for you, Daryl. But I, I love that analogy there or metaphor probably more accurately of, you know, it's a group of people serving another group of people. And I, I tend to agree with you. I'm a believer in the fourth turning principle, which is the fourth generation ruins it. Mm, <laughs> um, right which comes from the economic world. And there's a lot of uh, deep research onto this associated with recessions and really hard times in countries. Um, but what I find particularly interesting is in the world we live in today, the instant gratification and how much that's being built in is that it's almost become this huge entitlement thing where people really don't want to talk to people anymore. They really don't mm. want to do it. They're just expecting those dollars to fly through. So fascinating perspective there. So, 
I mean, I want to come back to the world of podcasting here because you, you've just said that, you know, this is something that requires a lot of time. But I mean, I want to play devil's advocate because I would almost argue here that if you're going to pick uh, paid ads, if you're going to pick SEO, if you're going to pick blogging, if you're going to pick video, that all of these require a ton of time. I wouldn't say mm. that podcasting stands out as one that's particularly higher time. Do you think it's maybe more around what suits you or you enjoy more? Or do you think this is something that's, in your opinion, just way time higher time commitment than other mediums? Oh, no, I don't mean that. I mean, it, the grass is always greener. <clears throat> I just mean sometimes I'll do an interview and it, maybe it's a good interview and I feel jazz and motivated, but I, I'm a little bit obsessed with productivity and sometimes I'm and that's part of why I pivoted to make the podcast such a focal point in the business. Like I said, such a leverage point because sometimes I would have a day where I do two, three interviews, but I'm like, I didn't get anything done today. You know, like, I don't know how that was productive so much per se, like, <clears throat> and maybe it's just a mindset thing that I have to work through. Uh, but I, I don't think, I think the grass is always greener. I think it's fantastic because like even this, we're having this conversation now and years from now, people might watch this and still get value and benefit from it. like, this can still change people's lives Years from now, nothing we're talking about here is everything. Everything we're talking about here is evergreen. None of this stuff is tactical. That's gonna we're gonna wake up tomorrow and log into Facebook and everything's gonna be different. All this stuff that we're talking about is like like humans interacting with humans and and foundations on building relationships and talking about creating content on a consistent basis and having a reason and a mission and a why. Like my mission is to help create two hundred new multimillionaire business owners. Why? Because I help one client do three million over three million dollars and I helped another client do over a million dollars and I felt like I like I had this small little martial arts school before I did that and I was doing six figures, but these things that I apply to these other businesses, it wasn't anything different or new. It's it's the concept that <clears throat> like you might be able to run at a certain pace wearing work boots, steel-toed work boots. And then if we take those off and we put on feather light running shoes, you could probably run a whole lot faster. Your 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 power output is the same, but because the conditions change, suddenly, right? <clears throat> suddenly the potential is so much greater. And that's what was really amazing for me is I'd done all this to really maximize this local martial arts school, like that was a niche within a niche in a small town. And I had five competitors as well. Like we were fighting over like a thousand possible customers every, you know, like, but then when I applied that to an online, you know, basically like nationwide international business, the digital download, the principles still were powerful and it was just an exponential growth. So um, yeah, I think there's a time commitment in anything you do. And I think it maybe comes from me being pulled, like you said, into wanting that instant gratification. Like, you know, like I don't want to wait and put this interview up and wait three weeks or four weeks or five weeks for something. And maybe that's, maybe I just, maybe I have a little bit of egg on my face having said that you just pointed it out, which is totally fine. Um, yeah. But I think yeah. it's an incredibly powerful medium because with their podcast. <clears throat> so I, I had a, I was fortunate enough, forgive me for talking over you. I was fortunate enough to uh, meet Darren Hardy once. Darren Hardy's the founder of Success Magazine. He owns a, a significant portion of Jim Rohn's IP. These days, he's a uh, Jim Rohn protege. And uh, we were walking. It was actually John's birthday. And we were doing a hike. And I didn't know he was associated with Jim Rohn or anything, but I was on a big Jim Rohn kick at the time. And I was telling him all about it. And, he just, and I could tell he was so fascinated to hear this from me. And, uh, and then one of the things he shared some things with me, one of them was that audio is the most highly consumed information format. Even podcasts, people will play them on YouTube and then go walk around and do stuff. Audio is because like when you're driving, when you're doing the dishes, it's when your your hands are busy, but your mind is idle. And so once you create, especially with video, you can re repurpose this stuff an infinite number of ways. 
you can right now, you could take screenshots from this. And now you can, well, was one of the things that I did for my local business was trying to rank not just in Google search, but Google images, Google video, like all of them, right? You don't want to just show up in one category. You want to show up in all categories. So right now, Charlie, you're talking about doing SEO. Well, you could take 30 screenshots of this and start trying to rank for my name, you know, in the Google images part, you could pull the audio out. Now you've got the audio, you got the video with the video, right? Like the audio and the video, you could be on YouTube. You could transcribe this. It could become blog articles, social media posts. <clears throat> you put together little reports. Like it's such a, a malleable format. Whereas if it's just a blog, you kind of have to reverse engineer all that. So if you have video and audio, you can now chunk that down into whatever you want. And that's incredibly powerful. We talk about leverage, especially for you as a CEO. For you, it's a half hour, hour of your time, but now you can have a team of people processing this stuff into 101 different formats to be delivered to the world. Absolutely. And that's a big part of what we do. One of the reasons um, we do video for this podcast is for that reason. It opens up so many more channels. So I'm a really big believer in omnipresence and like you've just highlighted all of them. And yes, I definitely will try to rank for your name. Like it's absolutely going to happen. <laughs> so we work on a bit is, um, you know, just to drop another insight, there is something I think is a really powerful strategy at the moment is when you have a guest on, you should definitely uh, write your SEO and write your show notes to appear for that guest. Because if anyone's looking for information on that uh, person, the podcast might actually be the type of content they're looking for. So great way to bring new people in and take advantage of Google. Um, we tried AdWords with that as well to just like buy maybe a high profile's guest name and rank for that. However, it didn't do too well because of the keyword relevancy. So trying mm -hmm. to buy ads for someone else's name uh, not been the best success for us. But I do um, want to lean back into and get a little bit more tactical because um, you've got some big numbers on your podcast, like you are getting a lot of downloads and been doing this a long time. So I'd love your perspective on promotion. Like how do you go about getting your episodes out there and bringing in new listeners? Right. So, well, there's only three ways to get traffic, no matter what you're doing. You can buy it, you can borrow it, you can build it. So <clears throat> that's really what you what you have available. Uh, to help you grow your follow listenership. So in the beginning, you, you maybe have to, you don't really have an audience. So you, you're focused on building it. Building is like the back end that you're going to do no matter what you do. So when I first launched, in fact, my first week, I did spend some money on ads. I looked up, actually went to Google Trends and I put business podcasts into Google Trends. And I found the parts of the States that were, had the highest uh, number of searches for that. That's why my podcast is named the best business podcast with Daryl Urbanski. And that's not because I'm trying to be egotistical. It's because when I did the search for business podcast, the most searched for term was best business podcast. So what I didn't realize is I didn't have <clears throat> like the moat around what I was building in terms of like Kleenex. Kleenex is actually tissue paper, but now it's like, you know, it's its own kind it's of the word. Uh, ecosystem, right? <clears throat> so I don't, I don't have that with my podcast. And I've debated on changing the name. But uh, so originally I went for SEO. What are people looking for? Well, they're all looking for the best business podcast. So that's right here. Every show is going to be called the best business podcast and or every episode. And then I ran some paid ads in the communities. So I went where the people were that were listening to business podcasts. And I ran some ads to them to get them to download my show. But a lot of the stuff you just kind of have to guess. It's like when I put my book on Amazon, got to hit number one was you don't really get any, any data from iTunes. You don't really get any data from these other places. You just have to set your hair on fire and hope, you know, hope for the best. <clears throat> so there were some paid ads. And then there's the borrowing when you have guests that you get them to promote. Like they've built their own following. So get them to co-promote the interview you just did with them. 
and that's and that's really it. And then build, and by building, you kind of create. It's almost like if there's a TV show. I, I, I out of out of principle, I try to avoid series as much as possible. I watch movies, but not shows because you can just ninety hours go by. But you want that to your advantage. You want that to your advantage. You want to be consistently producing. So every Sunday night at this time, I mean, we've been releasing at Monday at between like two and five a.m. every week Monday since the beginning. So like we've never changed that because we want to create that anticipation. We want to create that consistency to build that listenership. So people build routines and habits and lifestyles around, oh, the new episode's out. You know, I'm going to listen to this while I drive here or while I'm jogging on the treadmill or whatever that is. And so that's really all you have available is buy, borrow, and build. And so uh, part of building might be an SEO strategy. Part of building might just be, like I said, consistency over time. Uh, And then again, like if you can try to build an email list, like, as much as you can, you want to, you want to own the list. I used to say that there are, I haven't, I haven't said this in a while. I think it's four universes, the unknown universe, the known universe, uh, leads and buyers. <clears throat> so the unknown universe is like, when I look at my podcast, I've got, there's actually five. So there's, the, yep. The unknown universe is the people that I don't know exist. So they're like a market is a term, but it's really hard to define a market because there's churn. There's people that are starting to listen to podcasts and then there's people that, have been listening to podcasts forever and there's people that have were listening forever then stopped for whatever reason so there's the churn and i don't really know what that amorphous entity is so that's the unknown universe and there's a known universe i'm getting all these downloads but i have no idea who these people are and i have no way to communicate with them right so it's the known and then i've got kind of like my leads which i might say i might say the five so yeah i did leave one out so then i've kind of got i would say i would say leads are, are suspects where i've got maybe they added me on social media but you know, when I post on social media, I can't make sure my message gets out to everybody, right? There's algorithms at play, time of day, did they log in or not, all that stuff. So I might have the potential capacity to reach 10,000 people, but maybe only a thousand see my message. But then you've got your actual prospects, your leads that raise their hand. Would you be interested in help with this? Boom, hand up, right? Now those are people, now they're actually potential buyers. So you've got this funnel that you built out. And so you have to recognize that with your podcast and you have to have something at work to actively move people through all those. So we don't really know how big that pond is, the unknown universe, but I know I've got this many downloads happening all the time. How do I convert these known downloads into a known, like a, a like a, you know, like a, a, an acquaintance, take them from a known universe to an acquaintance now. And how do I move them from being an acquaintance to an actual lead? And now that they're a lead, how do I get them to actually become a buyer? And now that they're a buyer, how do I get them to become a multi-buyer or a referrer? And that, that, that spectrum. And so think about that. Like if you might be getting, I don't even know, pick a number, X downloads a month. Okay, but then what's the next step? And it's, you know, what's the bottleneck and trying to work on that? And that's kind of where you're at. And, and anywhere focusing in anything you're doing, focusing, focusing on anything other than the bottleneck is uh, a diminished ROI for your time and effort. It's interesting. It's almost close to theory of constraints uh, there, which I'm a big fan of uh, Eli Goldratt and that book. I think it's phenomenal. But I think you identified something that not too many podcasters think about is um, I know a lot of podcasters are just obsessed with download numbers. It's like, how many can we just plug into the top? Let's just keep putting people in the top. But they've never really considered the segmentation of how you've broken that down into, you know, we're getting these downloads. What can we do or change or bring in to take those people into being leads or buyers and working through those segments. So that's an incredibly powerful way of thinking about it. And I love the idea of, uh, was it build, borrow and buy Buy, yeah, yeah. as your three traffic sources? I'd never actually heard that before, Daryl. That's actually, I I really like that. And I think you can, uh, 
I think you can lean into all of them uh, with podcasting as well, but particularly the borrow one is very, very powerful in this right. space. Right. Oh, yeah. And JVs are a phenomenal way to grow your business. Um, I, in my experience, I just know that they're good typically for spikes and kind of maybe seasonal you know, efforts. It's hot. It's, it's not as consistent as having had like something like SEO or a paid ad campaign that just works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But it's just, again, it's just a phenomenal, if you can, if you can line up consistent JVs, then that's fantastic. But yeah, buy, borrow, build, uh, buy, borrow, build anything you do. JVs that fits into borrowing, you're boring their audience. You're boring my audience. Now I'm boring your audience to get more exposure. So that's really it. And yeah, the, the concept of looking at that, I mean, how do you help someone do a few million dollars? Well, it's it's trying to monitor the, the causation or correlation between this activity and the output, you know? And so download numbers. I remember when I had my podcast, I was Hurt, Hertford, Hertford, UK. I remember when I was in my, maybe my first year, something like that, like 70% of my downloads were coming from there. And I was getting more downloads from that part of the world than I had, uh, than they had in population when I looked them up on Wikipedia. So I remember reaching out to the tool that I was using, the host, I use Libsyn, how the host, the, like, are these numbers real? And that's like, you just don't really know. Like, it's that concept, you know, like, it's just not as tangible. I'm, I'm, I'm really a results guy at the end of the day. And so I'm all about making sure, you know, uh, that it's meaningful and you can vanity metrics, you know, that's like open rates on email marketing. Like open rates are vanity metrics because there's no way to know for sure if miss people, people are missing out or if it's a false open or what, but clicks, you can, clicks are pretty reliable and sales are even more reliable, you know, like it's just tough to say. So you, you know, you, you look at trends as best you can, you try to, you know, you use them as guideposts, but you really keep your eye on the prize the whole way through the process. And I think that's incredibly important. Well, some good news then. Um, we're hearing a lot of rumors coming soon, but um, a whole bunch of better data metrics are coming for podcasting. So because this medium's finally taken off, so to speak, we're seeing a lot of investment into the space with companies like Spotify, Google's investing heavily, Apple's investing heavily. And one of the things we hear coming down the line is you'll be able to see more accurately how your audio is being consumed and where, so how deep people are going. So I think the data points, I agree completely, have been terrible in podcasting. Like the download numbers are shoddy at best, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Uh, we, where now we're going to move in where they're going to be able to say, hey, this is how many minutes of content were consumed, or this is how much of those episodes. So there's some big upgrades to come down the line yeah, from there. That's, that's awesome. And just like with YouTube, watch time is everything on YouTube. I think it's the same thing with a podcast. You know, it's the minutes that have been consumed. And that's whether you're trying to build a relationship with an audience, whether you're trying to, you know, they need to spend time with you before they'll spend money with you type of thing too. So I think it's just a win-win-win for everybody. I completely agree. Now, Daryl, we're coming into the end of our time here, and I wanted to ask you, where's the best place for people to come and get to know more about you and listen to your show? Right. So, well, they can look up, just search by my name, Daryl Urbanski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, Urbanski. Find me on pretty much any social media channel. Our podcast is everywhere. So look for the best business podcast with Daryl Urbanski. But my name should lead you to wherever you want to find me. If you want to find me on Apple Podcasts, and search Daryl Urbanski there. If you want to find me on Facebook, put Daryl Urbanski there. But my name would probably be the best way to, to reach me. Excellent. Well, we'll make sure we include all of this in the show notes. I want to thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and so many great insights and topics that I think will be very useful to our audience. So big, big thank you. Uh, that's it for another episode of the podcast, guys. Thank you for tuning in. 